Last week, I shared with you a little about my summer between um, colleges uh, working at a cemetery, Uh, but I actually left out part of the story. When I first came home to Greenville, South Carolina, from a military school in Colorado, I I needed to get a a summer job since the government was no longer going to pay for my education. So so I, I looked through the classifieds. Oh, well, for some of you, the, the classifieds are, are, are where you found job postings in the back of the newspaper. A newspaper was how you read the news <laughs> b- before the internet and, and smartphones. It was actually a, a print piece on kind of whitish, grayish newsprint and largely black letters in varying size f- fonts. Your fingers would actually turn black as you turn the pages. The neighborhood paper boy actually delivered the newspaper to your house early every morning. That was actually, that was actually my first job when I was in junior high, getting up at five in the morning and, and inserting the ads because the paper company is too lazy to do that, and rolling them up and putting a rubber band on them and, and, and delivering newspapers on my bicycle from those wire racks on the... Ba- Never mind. When I got home that summer between colleges, um, I first got a job with a roofing company in Greenville in the summer. And it wasn't that, you know, residential tile roofing. It was commercial tar and, and, and pea gravel roofing, hot tar in Greenville. In the summer, uh, the first day of the, uh, the job, I carried buckets of hot tar up, up a ladder, up and down all day, and I know some of you go, oh, they had those pumps. No, it was broken. <laughs> up and down all day. I, I, I noticed that the other guys had their shirts off, <laughs> so I took mine off in Greenville <laughs> in the summer <laughs> all, all, all day. After all, I was not the imposing figure that stands before you now. I was 6'1 and weighed 145 pounds. I was skinnier than Michael Talley. (laughs) That night when I got home to say that I was in pain uh, would have been a bit of an understatement, not only from carrying, did I mention, five gallons buckets of hot tar up and down a ladder all day, uh, but my back and shoulders were, were literally one massive blister. Not kidding. My brother actually rigged up a fan to blow across my back all night long. After a week of that, I thought, I have got to find a new job. So that's when I found Greenville Memorial Gardens. And, and, and two weeks later, I was out of there. And you said, two weeks? That's something else. We used to, it's called two weeks notice. You might want to write that down. <laughs> I'm sure we've all been in, in situations where we have made a commitment before we knew everything, Right? I mean, you actually do that all of the time. When you interview for a job, you can read through the job description, you meet with the boss, talk with him, but you don't know everything about the job. That's why some of you are working where you're working. You see, there's an element of faith, there's an element of trust to accept the the position. Another example, when you find that special someone, start dating, courting, whichever word you use, and you make a commitment to get married... There's an element of faith. You find out when you're living under the same roof, you didn't know everything. But once you took that step of faith and made the commitment, your understanding began to grow. 
You see, there's nothing quite like making a commitment, being in uh, to understand. Uh, in fact, in some sense, you, you, you have to be in to fully understand. There was a nationally known Christian speaker year, years ago who, who used to travel the country teaching on marriage and, and parenting. He actually gathered quite the, the following. He was some kind of homeschool guru, I guess. The, the only problem, uh, he had never been married, never had kids. Now, I'm not saying that you cannot understand some principles of marriage and family without actually having, you know, a marriage and family. Um, but there's nothing like the, the understanding that comes from experience, from being an, from being an insider. I will go one step further. You cannot, you cannot fully understand the Christian faith without being a Christian, without, without making the commitment to believe. You see, it's when you get in that you begin to more fully understand. Now, I want you to understand, there's, there's lots of profound evidence to prove the reliability of the Christian faith. There's lots of supporting historical data to prove the life, death, burial, and, and resurrection of Jesus of, of Nazareth. But, but in the end, it is still called the Christian faith. And it takes faith. Trust. And most of us know that very famous verse in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. It's faith. But, but, but when you're in, it is then that you begin to understand more. In fact, I've got a couple of, I've got a couple of passages to read. They're kind of lengthy, but I think they make the point well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes these words. For the word of the cross that we celebrated last weekend, the, the, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, those who don't believe. But to us who are being saved, who have believed, it, the cross is the power of God. For it is written, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will, I'm going to set them aside. So where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the, the, the wisdom, uh, foolish, the wisdom of this world. I want you to understand that there's the wisdom of the world and there's the wisdom of God, and they don't mesh. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, <laughs> they're so wise, they, they can look at all of creation and see that there is a God, and they said, No thanks, we'll make our own. So God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached. What's the message? The cross. Through the message preached to save those who what? Who believe. For indeed Jews, they ask for a sign. They want proof. Give me, give me something. And the Greeks, they want wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. That's what you get. To the Jews, that's a stumbling block, and to the, and to the Greeks, that's, or to the Gentiles, that's foolishness. But to those who are called, those who are, are, are being saved, whether you're a Jew or a, a Greek or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. We understand this message is the, the, of Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, so, so how, do we, how do we explain this? I want you to understand that the wisdom of this world stands in stark, dark 
contrast to the wisdom of God. And so, you are on one side or the other. You're an insider or you are an outsider. Paul goes on then in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, continuing with this theme to write this. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, and we understand a mystery was something that was hidden. That's what it says. In a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, uh, His, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory if they had understood it. They didn't get it. You see, because it's written, the, the things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which had not entered the hearts of men, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Eyes don't see it, ears don't hear it. Unless it enters your heart, you won't get it. And it's not talking, by the way, about heaven there, all right? We misapply that to him. It's talking about the gospel. For to us, God revealed these things through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And he gives an example. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man who's in them? You don't really know a person. You think you don't really know a person. The only person who really knows a person is the person. We, we get that. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. But now listen, we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak. These are not words of, these aren't words of human wisdom. That's nonsense. We teach those things that are taught by the Spirit, combining, these are spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. See, a natural man, a person who's not a Christian, an unbeliever, he does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they're foolishness to him. Look at the next phrase. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or discerned or comprehended. But he who is spiritual, who is saved, they, he appraises or understands all things. He, he himself is appraised by no one. For who, who has known the mind of the Lord that it, he will instruct him, but are you listening? We have the mind of Christ. Do you see what Paul is saying in those passages? The, the cross, the, the, the Christian faith is foolishness to those who don't believe. Because the things of faith are spiritual, and only the Spirit of God knows the spiritual things of God. But we, we believers, we've received the Spirit of God so we can freely understand. We have the very mind of Christ. This is incredible. But here's the question. What came first? Understanding or belief? It has to be faith. It must be belief. Commitment. You see, there is enough rational evidence to believe the Christian faith. There is enough truth for you to understand. So, so the message this morning is simply this, believe, take the plunge, make the commitment. If you don't, you'll never get it. I believe that's what we find in universities across our country who try to distract, or excuse me, to discredit the Christian 
faith. Some, not, not, not all. I mean, we have a number. I want you to understand, we have a number of Christian faculty and, and staff from ASU who are part of our church family. But, 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 but let's face it, some there and across our country don't believe and, and seek to discredit it. Why? Because they don't get it. And they never will, unless they believe. And so, when your professors, or or let's broaden that, when people on the internet who don't believe (laughs) make fun of those who do, of course, it's foolishness. You understand, they don't have the Spirit of God. They are dead in their sin. They mock, they scorn, they're dead. They can't understand. And so listen very carefully. On the one hand, we can grieve because they don't believe. We can cling to our faith and share it with them in the midst of ridicule and and scorn. That's what we want to do on the one hand. But on the other hand, my brothers and sisters, you can be encouraged. We can inwardly smile, not in derision. But we can inwardly smile. We're insiders. We get it because it has been granted to us to believe. This is what Mark is teaching, or excuse me, this is what Jesus is teaching in Mark chapter 4. You remember that the gospel of Mark has more action than the other gospels and actually less teaching. In fact, there are only two extended portions of, of, of Jesus' teaching in, the gospel, in Mark's gospel, in chapter 4 and in chapter 13. We find ourselves in the midst of, uh, of Mark 4 that I've entitled the parables of the kingdom. Jesus is telling us what the, the kingdom will be like, and he teaches in parables. Why? We, we saw because... Truth will be kept from those who don't believe. But truth, and in fact, our faith will be deepened through these parables for those of us who do believe. We started with the parable of the sower a couple of weeks ago. You remember the emphasis there was, was on the soils, that is the reception of the word. We found the, the seed to be the, the, the word of God, the, the message of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. It was this, repent. Believe the gospel, believe the good news. And by believing, you become followers of Jesus. You become insiders, and the truths of the kingdom then become for you and you only. You see, there are four types of soil, four kinds of hearers. First, those with hard hearts. The truth does not penetrate hearts of stone at all. And in fact, when the gospel is heard, Satan comes and, and snatches it up right away. I don't know how he does that. Jesus doesn't tell us, but in some way, he snatches it away. But, but some of the seed falls on rocky soil, and, and there are immediately signs of life. The, the seed grows, but then when affliction or, or persecution comes because of the word, it, it quickly dies. It's not real, you see. And then there's the seed that, that falls among the, among the thorns. And these are our hearers who receive it. They receive it with joy, but they soon get sidetracked by the worries of life and the wealth this world has to offer, and it chokes, it chokes out their faith. Only the seed that, that finds good soil, receptive hearts, produce a crop. And so, and so Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now he goes on to talk about the nature of the kingdom in these next few verses. Very, they're very difficult verses. 
he goes on to talk about the, the fact that the light of the gospel has come and, and will shine everywhere, and, and some will believe and some won't. That's the, that's the way it is. So, so look at the text with me. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25, say this. And, and he, Jesus, was saying to them, a, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it, or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was, and he was saying to them, take care. He says again, listen up. To take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. That is a, that is a little confusing. I have to tell you, when I dove into this text this week, I was scratching my head. I, what is he saying? So let's spend a few minutes kind of taking apart, trying to grasp what Jesus means. After all, we're supposed to understand because we're insiders. We've received the Spirit of God so that we can understand these things of God. So there are two parables or, or, or analogies, if you prefer, um, here. These are common sayings with everyday concepts that the people would have understood, but, but he uses them to communicate spiritual truth. Mark starts both uh, sayings with the phrase, and he was saying to them. And the, the, the first question is, who is the them? The closest antecedent to, is, is to the 12 or the other disciples that he just explained the parable of the sower um, to. But then after these two sayings, Jesus gives a couple more parables. And Mark reminds us in verses 33 and 44 that Jesus spoke the parables to, to crowds. So which one is it? Is it the disciples or the crowds? We can't really know for sure. But he has just been speaking to his disciples in verses, um, uh, in the verses before. And so most surmise he's talking to us, disciples. In, in these verses, then he'll return to the crowds with those parables. Here's a quick outline, very simple, uh, if you want one. Uh, we're going to look at the analogy or the parable, I could call it, of the lamp, and the analogy of the measure, whatever that is. Let, let's look, uh, let's start with the first of these two sayings. He has two questions in verse 21, clearly expecting a no answer with the first question and a yes answer uh, with the second one. He, he then applies what he is saying in verse 22. So, so look at the questions first, clear questions with clearly expected answers. He says, a lamp, now, by the way, a lamp was an oil lamp with a, with a bowl. It was used, it would burn oil to provide light for the room, okay? You, you would put it on a lampstand. And so a, a lamp is not brought uh, to be put under a basket, is it, or under a bed? Obviously not. A lamp is brought to, to bring light. To, 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 to put, a, put it under a basket or put it under a, a bed would be self-defeating. It would defeat its purpose. Now, as much as it pains me to say this, this actually isn't the best translation. Don't get cocky. I looked it up in your translations, and it isn't right there either. More literally, um, th th this verse reads this. The lamp does not come to be put under a basket or bed, does it? 
And again, the answer is no. Notice there is a definite article. This is not just any lamp. This is the lamp. And the lamp is the subject of the sentence doing the action. The lamp does not come to be hidden is the idea. And you say, okay, what's your point? Most agree that the lamp is either Jesus or the message of the kingdom or both makes sense since that's what Jesus came to bring is the message of the kingdom. The meaning then seems to be this. Stay with me. Jesus hasn't come to bring the message of the gospel for the message of the gospel to be hidden, has he? For it to be put under a basket or put under a bed? Of course not. We're supposed to be a a, a light. We're supposed to be a city on a hill. We're supposed to proclaim the truth. He and his gospel have come, and it is to be made known. But look at how Jesus applies it in verse 22. For, for nothing is hidden. What? You just said it wasn't hid. For nothing is hidden except it be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it should come to light. What does this mean? We must remember the context of, of Mark. This is why it's so important for us to do our studies verse by verse. We remember Jesus came veiled in human flesh. He came teaching with authority. He came driving out demons and healing people of every imaginable disease. And some believed and some didn't. For those who had eyes to see and ears to hear, they believed. But others who saw the exact same evidence refused to believe like some of you. And yet we remember as we've been going along, that he instructed those demons that he exercised and those people that he healed to, to, to keep quiet about it. We, we've called it the messianic secret. Well, what is this? You have to, I've said that he was not the Messiah that the Jews expected. They, they expected the Messiah to come in and, and throw off Rome. He didn't come to throw off the tyranny of Rome. He came to throw off the tyranny of sin. He was not what they expected. Not only that, at this early time in his ministry, this, this was not his time. He had work to do. He had teaching to give. He had a band of disciples to gather. In John's gospel, he says it this way. He was the light of the world. And the light had come. And the light shined in the darkness. But the darkness did not comprehend. It did not understand it. It was hidden. It, only made, it was only made known to those who would believe. Because had they known, remember what Paul said, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it was hidden all according to divine plan. Don't, I, I, you, you can't miss this. He was veiled in human flesh. And while the, the, the messianic secret was in place, it would not remains so. Verse 22, that which is hidden has now been revealed through his death, burial, and resurrection that we celebrated last weekend. His work is finished. It is accomplished. And those who know we are supposed to share it. We're supposed to put it on a lampstand. We're supposed to reveal it. He told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, that which I whispered to you, I need you to, I need you to shout from the rooftops. Yeah. This is great news. It needs to be shared. It needs to be brought into the light. But still not all will believe. 
incredibly. All kinds of verses that talk about the light of the gospel. One is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that kind of helps us understand what Jesus is saying. If our gospel is veiled, if it's hidden, it's veiled to those who are perishing, to those who refuse to believe. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, he's, he's, uh, the unbelieving, He's hardened them in their unbelief so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. This is incredible news, but it's foolishness to those who don't believe. That's what we got. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord ourselves as His bondservants. For, for God, the, the God who said at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, the light shall shine out of darkness, is the, is the same God who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Hallelujah. So we preach the gospel of the glory of Christ, trusting that God, we do our part. We put, the, we put the light on a lampstand so that everybody can see it and trust that God will cause dark, dead hearts to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Because you have to believe, listen to me, you have to believe in order to see. If you refuse to believe, you will never understand. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That brings us to our second analogy in verses 24 and 25. He drives this home for us. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. Stop right there. This admonition, he keeps saying it over and over. Listen up. Ten times in this section of the parables, he highlights hearing, listening. Here he literally says, see, he says, see that you hear. It's kind of an interesting phrasing. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. What? Jesus is using a very common analogy of the day. He uses it all over in his teaching. We see it in Matthew. We see it in Luke. For example, when he's talking about judging, we have this measure that we're all supposed to use. And, and if you're a person of integrity, you'll use the right measure. And if you don't, it's that measure that will be used against you in judgment. But that's not the context here. The context here is receiving the word. It is believing it. The standard by which you measure, whether you Listen and understand will be measured to you. Look at the rest of it. And as a result, more will be given you besides. Jesus actually applies the saying in verse 25, For whoever has to him, more shall be given, and whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. In the context, if you hear and believe more understanding will be given. You will understand the things of God because you have received the Spirit of God. But if you hear and you refuse to believe, even what you have will be taken away. Believe and you will receive more. You will understand more. Refuse to believe, even what you have will die. It will be snatched away by Satan. It will be dried up in affliction and persecutions. It will be choked out by the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. So, 
you have a choice. There is a rationality, a reliability to the gospel message. Jesus proved it conclusively that he was who he said he was. He accomplished what he came to do. He, he proved it by his teaching, by his exorcisms, by his miracles, by his death, by his burial, by his resurrection. You can weigh that evidence and believe and you will receive the spirit of God by whom, by whom you will understand more. You will begin to understand the things of God. Refuse to believe, and even what you have will be taken from you. The the, the message this morning is really quite simple. Believe. Because your eyes have not seen, your ears have not heard, your heart will not comprehend all that God has prepared for you unless you believe. We are about to enter a time of communion where we participate together in in, in the bread and and the cup. Two symbols that remind us of the broken body and and, and shed blood of Christ. This incontrovertible, undeniable truth. And and every month on the first Sunday of the month, every Sunday on the first Sunday of the month, we do this little dance. I invite everyone who believes to participate. doesn't matter... Where you go to church or whether this is your church or not, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a brother or sister, we invite you to participate with us. And if you don't believe, I invite you to, to believe, to, to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and, and make him the Lord of your life. Right there, right there where you are, you can, you can do that. And, and some of you do the two-step and sidestep the issue. I don't believe, I I need more evidence, I need more proof, I need my questions answered, and and listen, there's a place for that, and in fact, we have an apologetics ministry in this community that seeks to give answers to the tough questions. Several of the guys who who, who run that ministry are in this um, church, and so if you have questions about the faith, or you, you can see me and I'll put you in touch with them, but I need you to understand something this morning. You have to believe in order to fully understand. And here's what I'm suggesting, that there is enough rational evidence for you to commit. And by doing so, you will receive the very Spirit of God by whom you will understand the things of God. Here's my question for you this morning. What is it that is keeping you from committing? What is it that is keeping you from believing? Today... I I simply want to ask you, I simply want to invite you, would you please, I'm begging you, would you please believe the gospel? But I don't get it. It's why it's called the Christian faith. I'm going to ask the men who are going to be distributing the elements to go ahead and make their way to the front, and and, uh, the worship team can make their, um, their way up. Would you join me as I pray? Father, this um, truth burns within us. Remember Luke 24 when Jesus, after the resurrection, was walking with the two on the road to Emmaus, and he, he, he shared with them the scripture. What an incredible walk that must have been. The truth burned within them. My prayer right now is that the truth of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Christ would burn in the hearts of people today. Those believers, uh, by your Spirit, uh, 
confirmed in their faith. And those unbelievers, that they would be convinced that there's enough evidence to commit. And that they would, right now, ask Jesus to forgive them of their terrible, atrocious sins, rebellion against God. And they would believe and ask Jesus to be the Lord of their lives. And I know, based on the authority of your word, that if they will do that, you will save them. Father, would you do that right now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.